As I mentioned, we're dealing with Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism, so if you want to find that, you can find it on page 875 in the back of your Psalter hymnals. You might want to just tuck your finger into that particular portion of the Catechism. And then our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And then secondly from Galatians chapter 3. But first of all, this story, which we know so well. In the sixth month... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. So far from Luke, and then if you would turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were, slave, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of children. And because you are children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And since you are a child, God has also made you an heir 
the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our study of what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, we are busy with the question, who is Jesus? And as we noted last Sunday, eight Lord's Days of the Heidelberg Catechism deal with that question, Lord's Days 11 through 19. If you have your Psalters open, you can just page through and see that. Well, why all the fuss? Well, lots of people are busy with that discussion as demonstrated in this cover from McLean's magazine. There we go. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus even exist? And these are very 2016. These are issues and questions that are being asked even now as people try to put the puzzle together. They're very important questions to answer. They're not merely intellectual questions that we can throw some answers at. After all, there is a whole lot at stake in how you answer them. Eternity, even. Well, in the midst of a world that is constantly debating whether Jesus really existed or whether, or whether he really was who he said he was, we have the audacity, based upon Scripture, to confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We've looked at all that. And then this morning, we add to that initial statement a confession about his birth, namely that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, I realize this is July 10. And somehow talking about the virgin birth of Jesus seems strange and maybe even somewhat out of season. It's usually during the Christmas season that such a topic is handled in one way or another. But we're at it today because this is where our study of the catechism brings us on this Sunday. And actually, it really is kind of refreshing and doesn't hurt us to talk about the birth of Jesus at a time of year when we don't carry in our mind's eye all sorts of romanticized ideas about the sweet baby Jesus and everything else that we so often clutter the Christmas season with. In a world wrought by this dividing walls of hostility, it's wonderful to be able to talk about God in the flesh. So let's dive right in. The Catechism begins by asking the question, what does it mean that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? If you have your Catechism open before you in answer 35, then you'll notice that in the answer, before answering the question about what all this means to us, the authors of the Catechism want to make sure that we understand who it is we're talking about as being conceived and born. And they want to make sure that we understand that we are talking about Jesus. We must be agreed on that. Jesus, who is none other than the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God. The previous three Lord's Days have drilled this precise point home to us. Jesus is God. John, 3, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. That's the first thing. Jesus is God. Understand that. Know that. Confess that. That's where we begin. 
But Jesus is also Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's where Lord's Day 14 picks up the discussion. We say in the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, what about him? Well, this Jesus, true God, took to himself a truly human nature. He didn't give up being God, but the confession of the Bible is that through the working of the Holy Spirit and by using a young woman by the name of Mary as his instrument, Jesus became like us. So, first of all then, it was through the working of the Holy Spirit that Jesus took on our nature. Now, we all know that babies are usually conceived as the result, result of the physical union of a man and a woman. And while that may sound easy, the reality is that it's not quite that easy and simple for conception to take place. Those of you who have studied medicine would know that the physiological things, the, the amount of physiological things that must happen and that must be in place in order for conception to take place are mind-boggling. Those of you who have struggled with infertility would tell you that, that would tell us that there's all kinds of things in the, both the body of the male and the female that must be in place and working correctly in order for the sperm to travel up to the uterus to fertilize the egg. And that doesn't just happen. It's a whole process. It's a marvelous process. And all the glory goes to God. But now in the case of Jesus, things were different. We read that the angel Gabriel was sent to Mary with the message, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Bible makes it very clear that we understand that Mary was a virgin. And that means she was a woman who had not had sexual relations with any man. Though she was engaged to be married to Joseph, she was saving herself for her marriage. Of course, that's really kind of the way the Lord intends us to live. It may sound really strange. It may even sound terribly old-fashioned, but actually virginity is a state to be sought for, after, and thankful for amidst in the world, in this sex-soaked world. The fact that she was a virgin, that she would become the mother of the Messiah, was already prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 17, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, the news of the angel must have been stunning news to Mary. Actually, it was impossible news, as Mary points out to Gabriel. How can this be? I mean, really. How can this be, since I'm a virgin? As one writer put it, Mary is right. Virgins do not bear children any more than dogs beget cats or horses cows. A pregnant virgin is the ultimate oxymoron. Indeed, it's a profound mystery. God chose a simple young girl, it was thought anywhere from age 14 to 16 or so, to carry out his purposes. 
Mary was highly favored. Mary was a believer in the promises of old, a righteous flesh and blood person. God chose her as the mother of the Messiah. And over the years, Mary has gained in status and stature. She's become quite powerful. National Geographic even put her on one of their covers with the caption, the most powerful woman in the world. And upon reading such an article, it becomes clear that the veneration of Mary is quite something. Many miracles and sightings are attributed to her all over the world. There's a map in there of all the different places in the world, even a prophecy concerning the genocide in Rwanda. Her fame is growing not only among Roman Catholics, but also among Protestants and others. The adoration of Mary is everywhere, it seems. But we must always keep Mary's place in the Christmas story and in our confession in perspective. After all, Jesus is the focus of the events. He is to be in the spotlight a spotlight not to be shared by Mary. The Apostles' Creed, the only creed I know of among any religion, uniquely mentions two names. You ever notice that? In our confession of faith, we mention two names, Mary and Pontius Pilate. We're going to look at him uh, in some days to come, some weeks to come. The point is that we need to understand that the Christian faith is based in history. It's a historical faith, in fact. That's why her name is included. Back to Mary. She was chosen not because she was powerful, not because she was sinless, but she was chosen because God decided to do so. And while she may have been highly favored, nonetheless, she was like everyone else. Mary was an ordinary human being. Please understand that, an ordinary human being. She also needed to be cleansed and forgiven of her sins through the blood of Jesus. And by using this virgin girl to carry out his great plan of salvation, God makes possible what science tells us is impossible. Today, through various implants by sperm donors and, of course, Virgins can be impregnated. But such was not the case in Mary's day, and such is not the way things normally happen. The Bible tells us a mystery. Namely, Mary became pregnant by the working of the Holy Spirit. It may cause us to snicker a little bit, as many stories in the Bible do. But it really shouldn't surprise us. After all, Gabriel testified that nothing is impossible with God. Twice before in the history of Israel, seemingly impossible conceptions had taken place. Abraham and Sarai had a son, Isaac, when Abram was a hundred years old, as good as dead, and when Sarah was 90 years old. We're going to talk about that more tonight. Then there's the story of John the Baptist being born to Zachariah and Elizabeth in their old age, both stunning stories in which biology and logic run absolutely stuck. But the fact that the impossible became possible only reinforces the fact that salvation is a God thing, as some people put it. The fact that Jesus took on a truly human nature, being born of the Virgin Mary without any sort of human biological father or help, 
shows us again so clearly that salvation is all about God's work, not ours. And the Catechism goes on and tells us that Jesus took on our human nature for two reasons. First, so that he might become David's true descendant. That's important because of the fact that God made a promise with the Old Testament King David that his throne would last forever and his descendants would sit upon that throne. Of course, the only one that could sit on that throne forever, forever ruling over God's specially chosen people is none other than God's son, Jesus. And when we look at the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus is recorded in Matthew 1. We see that it begins with Abraham and then counts 14 generations to King David, then 14 generations to the Babylonian captivity, and then 14 generations to Christ. David was a blood relation of Jesus through Jesus' mother, Mary. And as such, as a true descendant of David, Jesus was also a true heir of the throne of Israel, of the throne among God's people, over a kingdom that he rules even today. You see, Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises to David. For that matter, Jesus was the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Secondly, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary so that he might become like us, his brothers and sisters. And yes, please note, Jesus was born. He was born. He took on our flesh and blood, which means that he is organically connected to us. He doesn't come from without, from some planet or from some alien race or something like that, but he comes from within the human race. He doesn't stand outside the human circle looking in, reaching in, but he lives and moves among us as our brother. He started his earthly life in human flesh and blood just like we start our lives. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Yes, he was in the womb nine months. And yes, Mary probably had her uncomfortable moments like any pregnant woman experiences. We're not told what her cravings were, but she probably experienced those as well. They usually do. At the end of the nine-month period, Mary had her contractions, her labor pains, and then finally the birth pains, and there was no comfortable hospital bed or birthing room. There was no professional hospital staff or epidural or painkillers or sterilized towers, towels or medical instruments. Jesus was born naturally with just as much mess and pain as any child is born. He wasn't put in an incubator or under a heat lamp. Rather, he was placed in a manger in that stall in Bethlehem. He got hungry and he had to be fed. And contrary to Martin Luther's song, Little Lord Jesus, No Crying He Makes, he probably cried and he probably had to be held. It's a mystery, all of this, yet it was so. That's the depth to which God stooped for you and for me. It's incredible. Born under the law, even. Circumcised, like all Jewish boys at the age of eight days. Presented in the temple as the firstborn son at the time of the cleansing ritual, rituals for the mother. 
He became a refugee at a young age, fleeing to Egypt to escape the murderous envy of King Herod. He placed himself under the authority of his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, and so on. The point is, Jesus grew up just like we grow up, from a child through puberty to a full-grown man. Tempted like we are, his hormones worked as well as yours and mine did and do. He grew thirsty and desperately needed something to drink. He had his times when he was hungry. There were times when he was tired, filled with fatigue. He was sad and he was happy. But all of this life was lived without the handicap of sin. Jesus was perfect in every way. He was and is truly God, remember? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That is our confession. Now, we might be inclined to think that all that's rather straightforward. So why in the world then does the Heidelberg Catechism make such a fuss about this point, devoting an entire Lord's Day to it? And why does the Apostles' Creed make this point, make it an article of faith? Is it really so important how Jesus came? Is it not more important that we concentrate on his work? Well, the church, on the basis of God's word, has always considered this doctrine to be very important, and that's why it's clearly included in the creed and subsequently in the catechism. It's important because after the close of the New Testament, there were people around who declared that Jesus wasn't really human. He merely looked human, as ghosts or angels might look. And then there were other people around who declared that Jesus was merely a good man, but not God. And it's often in the light of some heresy that a confession is written. Therefore, the confession of the Apostles' Creed. Therefore, Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The church wanted to make absolutely sure that it confessed the birth of the Scriptures, setting people straight on both views. The virgin birth was given proof was given as proof of the fact that Jesus was truly human. And the fact that it was a miracle shows to us that he was truly the Son of God. The implanting by the Holy Spirit speaks to Jesus' perfection as a member of the Trinity. The answer of the Catechism comes in the context of the Roman Catholic Church doctrine back in 1563, and therefore the focus on Jesus rather than Mary. You say, oh yeah, but that's 1563, this is 2016, get with it. We're way beyond the time of the Apostles' Creed and its formulation. We're way beyond 1563. Times have changed. Well, times may have changed, but people haven't. The difficulties that people had with the person of Christ then are just as real now. People are still making movies and writing books about the person of Christ. Time magazine, McLean's magazine, other magazines, which, uh, like I showed you earlier, still write long articles about who Jesus might be. And besides the different views on the person of Jesus, there are still millions of, upon millions of people who seem to give a whole lot more attention to Mary than to Jesus. The confessions and the creeds, while may, they may have been written centuries ago, are still relevant today. 
so the truth that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary still stand as two of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And if we cannot accept these points of teaching and all the things that are implied in them, our entire Christian faith may very well be in jeopardy. Well, after having reiterated the teaching concerning the conception and the birth of Jesus, the catechism, like it often does, and I hope you've noticed that as we're going through this, it asks the next logical question. So what? How does this teaching benefit us? What does it do for us? Anything? So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. What's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. There's comfort. Remember, comfort is the theme of the catechism. There's comfort in all of this for the believer. The fact that Jesus came in the way he did means that our life is not strange to him. Jesus knows what human life is like from conception on. He knows what it is to grow up. He knows about the struggles of youth and the temptations faced by people. He knows about the many things in this world that are so appealing and so appetizing, but in reality are dangerous and poisonous. And when we weep and when we mourn and when we face loss and when we face destruction, he can fully empathize with each one of us. He knows the responsibilities and the worries of adulthood. He understands human fears, lust, desire, and thinking. Of course he can. Jesus was a real man. He knows what loneliness is. If anybody knows what loneliness is, he does. All his friends deserted him. Even God deserted him as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands us fully, completely, thoroughly. Remember, he's not some strangely divine figure far removed from us out there someplace. He stands beside us. He walked among us. He took our place. He took our nature. He identified himself completely with the human race. He came to save. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself has suffered and has been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. His life covers ours at every point from conception on. The only difference being is that he did not sin. He was perfect. He is, after all, the perfect mediator. He's the only one, true God, true man, who is able to bridge that gap created between God and man because of sin. And because his life, his taking on a truly human nature was from conception on, and precisely because he was true God, He is also able to remove from God's sight your and my sin from conception on. Jesus restores the totality of our lifespan, which began the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb. And all of that we celebrate as we participate in Lord's Supper.
I believe that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Quite a confession, filled with mystery, filled with comfort. To God be the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's respond by singing together, Savior of the nations, come. Jesus became like us in every way. He dwelt among us, and he also gave this memorial feast as a memorial of the sacrifice until he comes again. At the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. With these words, our Lord Jesus commands all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in true faith and with a confident hope of his returning glory. In this supper, God declares to us that our sins have been completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself finished on the cross once for all. He also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his very body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. Therefore, we proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament, saying, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let's pray. With joy we praise you, gracious God. For you created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came among us as the Word made flesh to show us your glory full of grace and truth. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels in the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name, declaring that we are not our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.